Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Acts? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'll give you another chance. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. <laughs> we are in this series called The Spirit-Filled Church, and we have two big ideas, two big objectives in this series. We want to learn what it meant so that we can... Live what it means. Not too bad. Let's try it again so that we can... Hey, here's the secret. Here's the hermeneutical secret. That's the same goal that we have no matter where we're reading Scripture. Even if it's Leviticus. We want to learn what that meant so we can live what it means. Here's the other thing is this. I'm asking you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts today. It won't be the last time in this house that you'll open your Bibles to the book of Acts. But in terms of this series, this is it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no more. I know, Faith. I don't need anything out of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, boy. You're doing Revelation and Matthew series. I've had all I... Anyway, you that a lady Faith. <clears throat> you might say, well, wait a minute, Dab. I thought there were more chapters in Acts. Well, there, there certainly are. See, last week we were in Acts chapter 19, the city of Ephesus. Paul spent a great deal of time in the city of Ephesus. Uh, three years he spent there, which is longer, arguably, than he spent other than perhaps Antioch itself. But in terms of his missionary endeavors, places where he went to minister, Ephesus is, uh, is the, his longest stint, and it, it kind of carries the, the weight of... Um, well, it's almost his, uh, his finale, because after Ephesus, uh, the rest of Acts is landscaped with Paul's, well, Paul's uh, tragic and heroic adventures until the time that he arrives in Rome. But in terms of a last place of detailed ministry, it's Ephesus. And uh, so what we're going to look at today is what happens after that. After he leaves Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, Paul travels through Macedonia. He travels through Greece, and he goes once again to visit churches that he's been to. He encourages them, strengthens them, does all the things that he's been doing. We've talked about how important it is to strengthen and to reinforce and to don't drop rocks. It's on the tape. You can go back and look at that one later. But after a while, Luke records that Paul says he, he feels compelled. He, he feels he must go get back to Jerusalem before Pentecost, meaning the Feast of Pentecost, one of the great feasts of the Jews. He feels like he must get back to Jerusalem. And so he begins to make his way back there. But on the way back, he also reasonably wants to reconnect with the Ephesians. It was the last place he'd been there. He spent a long time there. Great relationships. You can imagine. But he doesn't apparently want to afford the, the, uh, the journey all the way to Ephesus as he's on his way to Jerusalem. So he stops at a place called Miletus. Not too far. There's a, it's a port city on the, on the very west of what's modern, south modern Turkey. He stops at Miletus and he sends for the Ephesian elders. Uh, now, we should interpret that as the leaders of the church and probably, 
heavy on the probably, because if you're going to look for the, the, the chapter and verse, you won't find it there. But probably the Ephesian elders might have included leaders from even the other local churches. Paul spent three years there, and we heard in Acts chapter 19 that the, because of the way he ministered there, reasoning from the scriptures, relying on the power of the Spirit as he did, that the word spread throughout that whole area, and they heard the word of the Lord. History and tradition tells us that out, out of Ephesus came many churches. So the church in Ephesus was a robust and powerful place that emphasizes the word of God, emphasizes the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope, hopefully, to somebody, this is beginning to sound familiar. And out from that place, also, they began to launch other congregations. Is it beginning to sound familiar again? So, What's possible or probable is then, of course, these elders, these leaders, they all come and gather with Paul at Miletus. And he, there he delivers what we will call or what is called sometimes in the bold print in your Bibles, Paul's farewell address. Now, these kind of speeches that Luke records for us are often uh, uh, recorded in antiquity and referred to as testaments. Not like a last will and testament we would say he wasn't delivering it via his attorney, but it was a, a, a testament. It was a summary of important and wise statements that a leader wants to leave for those who will follow him. And what's beautiful about Acts 20, beginning about verse 18 there, is that no other passage of similar length presents such a clear and vivid picture of the characteristic features of Paul's ministry. It, it, it summarizes where Paul has been and it foreshadows the unfolding events that will culminate with Paul preaching under guard in Rome. In effect, Luke has captured Paul's farewell address, his testament to those that his to his testament to those that he served and those that he led. And the good news is, we too read this farewell address, not only to learn what it meant but to live what it means. And what I hope that we will learn and live today is this. The Spirit-filled church finishes. Would you say that out loud with me? The Spirit-filled church finishes. It begins with verse 18 with Paul's confession. 18 says, When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. He testifies as to the way he has lived. He's reminding them of the example he has set. And here's his example, verse 19. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If I take a slow sip of this sweet coffee, that's a good place for you to go, hmm, or amen. <laughs> Paul's confession is that he served the Lord with humility. He served the Lord with humility. 
we're going to emphasize that Paul's confession must be our own, but we must stop here. He serves the Lord with humility. How many are aware that as we've read through Paul, or you've even heard of, of Paul's ministry, we know that what Paul did was he, he preached the gospel to people. He taught the, the will of God to people. He served people, ministered to people, laid hands on people, traveled with people. Probably engaged in mild, sanctified trash talk with people. Well, if, you, if you've read some of what he wrote, you know he had got some singers. Where they went the whole way and emasculate themselves. Oh, I see what you meant there, Paul. Anyway. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, anyway. They serve people, and yet he describes his ministry not as serving people. He said, I served the Lord Jesus with humility. Friends, we must, this must be our confession that what we, what we, we, yes, we work with people, we serve people. How many of you ever noticed this? Now, brace yourself, this may be a shocker for some, but how many of you ever noticed that working with people can occasionally be problematic? I sense the shock in the room. As long as we view ourselves working for people, we, will, we, are, we are set ourselves up for resentment, for entitlement, disillusionment, arrogance, ego, the litany of vices. But if we will remember that amongst all that we're doing, we are serving the Lord Jesus, and we do so with humility... It will keep our hearts pure, it will keep our hearts strong, and it will make sure that we finish. He said, I serve the Lord with humility. He said, Paul said he served the Lord with perseverance. No, he didn't use that word, but he said he served the Lord continually in the midst of severe testing. From people. People opposed him and challenged him, and there were challenges in his race. Some of you have been walking with Jesus long enough to know that at times it's not him. He doesn't design it. He's not difficult. But this path, because of this fallen world, because of the people that we walk with, because of the devil, because of circumstances, because stuff happens, that it can be challenging, it can be frustrating, and it can be tempting to quit. But it is, a, it is a hollow and vapid and worthless temptation. Paul's example to us is that we serve a Lord with perseverance. And finally, his example is this. He served a Lord with honesty. He did not hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful, regardless of the, regardless of the audience. Now I've done it. <laughs> regardless of the audience I actually, I, that's actually why I do that it's, it's an intentional pause and now you know why <laughs> regardless of the audience Paul candidly claimed that everyone must repent everyone must everybody gets to repent good news here's the gospel everybody gets to repent doesn't matter how you're dressed, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter if you're a church boy or a, what's a different kind of boy? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, doesn't matter if you're a church boy, it just, everybody gets to repent. 
everybody gets to repent. And every, well, here we go. Everybody, thanks, big. Everybody gets to repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's confession must be our own. The spirit-filled church serves the Lord with humility. We persevere in serving the Lord Jesus regardless of the tests and the trials that come or from whom. And the spirit-filled church must not hold back preaching the truth. Only the truth will help people. Our message must never change. We can never modify it depending on our audience or our occasion or the latest polls or depending on, well, this is what people really want to hear. Doesn't matter. Our message has to continue to be, no matter who it is, where they're from, what's going on, repent from your sin, turn to God in repentance and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And then next Paul shares his compulsion. Verse 22 he affirms the pressing call of the Spirit upon his life. Verse 22 says, And now, compelled by the Spirit. You want to try to say that out loud with me? Compelled by the Spirit. I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. <laughs> you know, I... I like him. He's a smart guy, but occasionally he says, he says things that confuse me. I'm going to Jerusalem. I have no idea what's happening, going to happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit has told me exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> Paul is compelled by the Spirit. He feels this pressing call to return. And yet that same Spirit, by that same Spirit, he's made aware of the kinds of things that he will face when he gets there. And we hear this. As we follow this along from chapter 20, if we, if we look at through the, the landscape of Paul's journey to come, in chapter 21, Paul gets to the city of Tyre. And when he gets there with the believers in verse 4, the, Luke says that through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then a few verses later, in, in chapter 21, verses 10 through 14, Paul arrives at Caesarea. And he goes to Philip the evangelist's house. You remember Philip the Evangelist? That was a couple of minutes ago. We talked about, that was chapter 8. Yes, Faith, that was like last year, <laughs> right? A long time ago. Like you, you were in like first grade. Anyway. What? She was 8. <laughs> what, a, what a delightfully sweet nemesis you are. Um, um, <laughs> So in Acts chapter 8, we remember Philip, we remember he goes, he remember there's a, that he's one of the deacons, he, we remember that, that, that he's, he's chosen to make sure that beans get to, 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 to Greek-speaking widows. Beans, right? Beans. He gets to make sure that they get the beans and the rice, but then they lay hands on him, and he starts serving beans and rice, but because they lay hands on him, some Holy Ghost comes on him, and then, and then he starts ministering in power, and then persecution breaks out, so he says, great, let's go party in Samaria. So he goes to Samaria, and there's a massive Sumerian revival. Then the Holy Spirit says, go that way, talks to an Ethiopian, baptizes that Ethiopian from the, someone who was at the end of the earth. And then when he baptizes him, Holy Ghost picks him up, beams him up Scotty, sends him on Star Trek, lands him in another city. And then he just keeps preaching. There goes Philip. We never hear from him again until chapter 21. 
And Paul and his buddies go to Philip's house. But here's what Luke tells us. This is just extra cool stuff. He shows up to Philip's house. And Luke says, oh, by the way, he has, he has daughters. All of his daughters prophesy. Now, does he, he doesn't tell us what they say. But two things are true here. Number one, once again, Luke reminds us of the voice of every image bearer. That God calls and uses image bearers, men and women. But also, hear this. For everybody... Whoever would be tempted to accept. Yeah, I'm staring right at you, Steve. Anybody who would ever be tempted to accept this notion that the seed of the kingdom that lands, oh, I'm talking to you, Rick. The seed of the kingdom that lands in Dick Benjamin is not to dissipate, is not to quiet. It doesn't become an echo that gets quieter through time. But it is a voice that increases. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Philip and he was used, but then that same Spirit, that same kingdom, that same gospel, that same power is at work in his daughters. And now all of them rise and they're prophets. They continue to speak the word of the Lord. So hear me, parents. Hear me, descendants. Hear me, generations. He's the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He is not the God of an echo or a dissipating voice, but he is the God of abundance and the God of increase. And you need to believe that your children will pick up from where you have been and carry this light further and farther and louder than you. But he gets to Caesarea. They're having a good time. Then Agabus comes. Agabus is also a prophet, but he's one of those prophets that perhaps has, he has enjoyed reading Ezekiel too much. I, we kind of like the prophets that just come there and tell you straight up things. They just say, here it is in plain, here it is language. Not Agabus. He comes, finds Paul, takes his belt. First of all, hands off, bro. <laughs> right? This is my area, not yours. I am going to stop. Uh, so Agabus takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and feet, lays on the ground and says, this is what's going to happen to the guy that owns this belt. And so they all begin to plead with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But when Paul could not be dissuaded, they just accepted the will of God. And Paul will indeed face all the things. He will face arrest. He will face abuse. He will face imprisonment. He will face shipwreck. And then more prison. In Jerusalem, chapter 21, he will be in the temple. He will be accosted and nearly beaten to death. A few verses later, he'll be arrested by the Romans and bound in chains the next chapter, 22, they will, they will begin to flog him almost until he brings up he's a Roman citizen, then they panic. Then they usher him to the Sanhedrin where he starts another fight. 
He is struck in the face as he's testifying before the Sanhedrin before he thinks of another thing to say. And he says, I'm here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And then he starts a fight among them. They drag him out and put him back in prison. Then they weren't satisfied. So a group of men get together and take a vow to kill him. They will fast until he's dead. Well, those men probably got very skinny. So they ship him out of Jerusalem. They take him back to Caesarea where now he faces in chapter 24. He's on trial before Governor Felix. And he's there for a long while until Felix is replaced by Governor Festus. And then he's on trial. He tells his story again before Governor Festus. And then Festus listens until he's, he, he calls for King Agrippa. And Agrippa comes and he testifies before him. And then they all say, this guy's done nothing wrong. Everybody who's mad at him is crazy. Let's send him back to Jerusalem. Paul says, no. I appeal to Caesar. So they oh, great. So they send him off to Caesar by a ship. But then, in 27, this ship is lost at sea. It's lost at sea. There's a horrible storm. Then there's a shipwreck on the island of Malta. But while he's there, he goes ahead and lays hands on everybody, heals them all. There's a big revival in Malta. Might as well have revival as long as we have a shipwreck. And he spends the rest of chapter 28 in Rome under house arrest, the supervision of a guard, and Acts stops there. So though Paul is compelled by the Spirit, he is still given the choice. We should hear that. He's compelled by the Spirit, but the Lord does warn him of what's coming. And in this way, Paul has a choice. But like his master before him, like our Lord Jesus, Paul willingly embraces what must happen to him for the sake of what will happen through him. In fact, this is Paul's singular mission. Verse 24, he continues. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. And complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. His only aim is to finish. To finish the race. To complete the task. Paul's aim is to finish. And this must be the singular aim and the great goal of the Spirit-filled church. To finish to finish our course, to complete our task that the Lord Jesus has given us. This whole theme of finishing keeps coming back up in Acts. Whether it's intended to be a, a major theme in the narrative or not, it keeps coming up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Finish this thing. And here's what's awesome is we don't get to decide when the race is over. But it's not over when we say so. It's not over when we get tired. It's not over when it gets hard. It's over when we stop breathing. It's over when he says. We don't get to decide when the task is completed. We get to keep running. Our mission must be to finish regardless of the cost, regardless of the time, regardless of the seasons or even the kind of. You know, the race can change. The tasks can change. 
But the person, the Lord Jesus, the one whom we're serving, will never change. The finish line remains constant. Regardless of the wins and the losses and the hardships and the sacrifices and the seasons along the way, we must finish. Next, Paul gives the Ephesians a commission. He turns his address to his audience, commissioning them to continue in the way that he has modeled for them. And once again, he draws their attention to his example. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching for the, of the, preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, that's a, that's a confession, but it, it, it is a commission. Paul was innocent of their blood because he did not withhold anything from them. He preached the entire will of God. He did not hesitate. He did not waver. Nor must the Ephesians. They must keep themselves free from blood guilt by being faithful to proclaim the whole will of God. And may heaven help us to follow in their and in Paul's example. May our hands never be stained with the guilt of hesitation or neglect. And then Paul continues. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. We need to hear uh, 28 different in the in the it has such a different tone and a direction than 29. For I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, day and night with tears. Paul says, you must keep watch over yourself and others. Keep watch over yourself. Start with yourself. And keep watch over those that the Holy Spirit has made you responsible. And be shepherds of the church of God bought with his own blood. See the comparison there. That the emphasis you feel that Paul is reminding them that they, we are stewards. I'm reminded of Jesus talking to Peter, says, do you really love me? Do you love me more than these? Show You love me by caring for, by serving those that belong to me. They do not belong to you. They do not belong to you. Paul says, Be, take care of the people the Holy Spirit has made you responsible for, but they're not yours. You're a steward You're of this responsibility. Be shepherds of God's flock, God's church. He bought with his own blood. You feel this, the, the, the reverence there. You feel a reverence there. 
I, I mentioned this first service. I, I didn't get out to between services, but if I get into the parking lot, sometimes on these, sometimes I, I wear sunglasses out there, not because I think I'm altogether too cool. And oftentimes I try to tell you so I don't scowl, because I don't want to scowl at you because of the sun. But often, here's the honest reason, regardless of how self-serving this is about to sound. Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm usually, I'm moved to tears. Thinking about Jesus, I just hear, the, this morning in particular was overwhelmed. Hearing the words of Jesus, do you love me? Do you really, do you love me more than these? And then every car that pulls in, I just, like, my love for Jesus is only as good as I can serve, if I can do anything for these people. And uh, the difference, and I don't, I wear glasses because you think, well, what if you pulled in the parking lot and there's a husky middle-aged man crying there? Call, 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 the, call the crazy wagon, come get this guy. I don't know, but there's a guy here. Who's... Compare that reverence and love with how he describes others. He says, after I leave, savage wolves will come in who will not spare. People will come in who will see this gathering of worshipers as an opportunity for their own appetites. And even he says, even from among you, there'll be those who will rise and try to try to deceive in order to divide for their own gain. So beware, he says, beware, beware. Yes. So be on your guard. I, I warned you day and night with tears. Leaders must be vigilant in the care for and the protection of God's church. This was the expectation of, expectation of the Holy Spirit for the Ephesians, and this is his expectation for us. Having shared his compulsion and his commission, here's Paul's confidence. He leaves them with this. After that great warning, here's this, verse 32. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Sanctified doesn't, is not, doesn't mean you've earned something. Sanctified happens to you. It happens to you. You are set apart. It's something that has happened to you by the Holy Spirit. Paul commits his audience, those who will take up and lead after he is gone, he commits them to God and to the word of his grace, that word of grace that not only bears the grace of God, it brings the grace of God. And Paul says it builds us up. We can anticipate that the word of his grace will, will bring strength and then more strength and then more strength. There is no, no, nothing in our view, in our gaze, that, that envisions a weakening or a softening or a lessening of the power, the vibrancy of the grace of God at work in our life. The grace of God will build us up, and by that same grace, we will receive our inheritance. We will receive all that Christ has purchased for us, both now and in eternity. This is Paul's confidence, and this is our confidence. We commit ourselves to God. We commit ourselves to the word of his grace. And we anticipate that not only will we be built up, but we will receive all that Christ has purchased for us. And then finally, in verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And that's how I want to finish this this morning and this series. I want us to pray 
that we will finish. If you, if you, when you read the book of Acts, it doesn't, there's not a part of it that says, the end. It doesn't say, and they lived happily ever after. There's no, in fact, it just stops. Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest. And then Luke just stops. And whether Luke intended to write another volume, kind of wish he would, or whether this was his intention, the result is that we are left with, an, with a story, a story that hasn't finished. People that finished their race. But a story that we must do our part in order to finish. The book of Acts, is, it's been said so often, it sounds like a bumper sticker, but it's still being written. But it's only going to be written by those who will say, their story is my story. I, like those who before me, I will finish. I don't know where everybody is in, in their race today. Some of you aren't, maybe aren't sure if you've even started. We start our race when, like Paul says, we repent of our sin. We turn to God, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step in our race is the step of repentance back toward God with faith in Jesus. Other folks perhaps have been in the race for a while. And I, like others, am counting on you to keep going. Unfortunately, there may be some who have tripped, been tripped, sabotaged themselves. All the metaphors. Maybe you pulled over and thought, this is a good place to park. It's a good place to pause. We don't get to decide when the race is over. So regardless of where you are, I would like to conclude today by simply asking if you will commit to finishing. Will you commit to finishing? again I want us to pray that we will serve the Lord Jesus with humility and perseverance and honesty that we will be compelled by the spirit to finish our race that we will watch over ourselves and others for whom we are responsible that we will commit ourselves to God and the word of his grace we will finish here's what I'd like you to do if you will say yes I by the grace of God will finish like you to stand just as a confession of your own faith as we sing this again I surrender
in the mighty name of Jesus. Where you go, we go. Let's finish together. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.